sure, buy your stocks and bonds, buy your mutual funds, whatever. But when you decide to get into the real estate piece of your portfolio, you really want to drill down and see what is best for you. Welcome back to Women Creating Wealth. Today we're going to talk about having a diverse portfolio. So when you talk about, when you hear a financial planner talk about a diverse portfolio, they're, t- they're saying you got to have some of your money in stocks and some of your money in bonds and some of your money in long term and short term and things like that. They rarely will tell you you should have any money in real estate. But even when you have, even if you found somebody who wanted to talk about real estate, they think of real estate as one thing, like real estate, boom, that's a bubble, that's a, a, a category. And of course, it is a category, but there are so many different pieces and aspects of real estate investing that if you truly want to diversify your real estate portfolio, it's very easy to do. Many of the people who I know who are real estate investors, they really only specialize in one type of investing. So they're going to do residential investing, for example. And that, excuse me. So they might do residential investing, for example. And they might say, oh, I have some commercial, but that might only be because five or more units is considered commercial category for loans and things like that. But for actually being diverse, if all of your places are someplace somebody lives, you're not diverse. (laughs) But let's just talk first about the four categories of real estate. And then we can talk about all the different ways in which you can be invested in one of those four categories. So of course is residential, which includes short-term rentals and long-term rentals. So that really, those are two different categories. Uh, For example, during the pandemic, when a lot of people were having problems with their tenants paying, for example, during the pandemic, a lot of landlords had tenants who would not pay their rent. But in my Airbnb properties, people were so happy to be there. They were staying months and months because they didn't want to be at home. And they were like, why should I go to my cramped apartment when I can be in your beautiful Airbnb here in the mountains? So if I had a I only had short term at that time, but let's imagine that I had a, a but let's imagine that I had a what do I want to say division, but let's imagine that I had a grouping with some long term rentals and some short term rentals when one group was potentially affected, the other one could pick up the slack, so short term and long term rentals still within the residential range. And then within commercial, I feel there are just a ton of different options within commercial. Because imagine you could have, just because it's a commercial building, it could be a restaurant, it could be a laundromat, it could be a pet grooming center, it could be a barbershop, right? There are just so many different categories within commercial that it's very easy if you get into commercial real estate to diversify just within that one category. But still, when you think about the building, commercial real estate has a different, normally commercial real estate has a different cycle than residential real estate. So you may still want to be involved in both. And then of course, there's industrial buildings. Industrial buildings a lot of times are at the end of a really fantastic or during a really fantastic residential cycle because people decide that they want to start renovating those industrial buildings and turning them into something residential. So industrial has its own category and also its own cycle. 
So that's something to keep in mind if you have an opportunity to buy an old mill building or an old factory or something like that. That can be commercial, it can be residential, or you can keep it as industrial. One thing that I've found is that there are some, right now there's a need for some people, some spaces that are like co-working for manufacturing. So there are a lot of people who have jobs, who have businesses. <clears throat> there are a lot of people who have businesses where they're creating things at home and they very quickly start to outgrow their garage or their basement or whatever. And they need to have a place where they can keep their machinery and just go there when they need to create things. And if you provide some machinery, like say a 3D printer and a laser cutter or things like that, then often you can, you know, people will pay to come to you to get their designs made. And you're not doing anything. They're doing the work. They're operating the machinery, et cetera. But you are just providing a big, huge warehouse space that houses that type of large operation. So that's something to keep in mind. And the fourth, I know I've listed like 20 things, but the fourth actual category is land. So land could be something that you're, you're leasing to someone or a group of someone's, people who want to park their trucks there, people who want to put up tents or whatever, you know, they might want to do. But also it could be land that you're bringing into development. So it's land that you're working with a city or town or whatever to get it permitted so that you can then now sell it as land that is approved for development. All these four categories, residential, commercial, industrial, and land, are ways to diversify your portfolio. But within each of these categories, so imagine like this is like exploding like the matrix. Within each of those categories, there are different ways to be invested. I know a lot of times we just think, oh, I have to own it myself. I have to buy this thing if I want to buy a big you know, commercial building. Oh my God, it costs $2 million. I can't get that. So that's out of my reach. That's not necessarily the case. But anyway, there are lots of ways to invest in all of these categories, more or less hands-on, more, which means more or less control that you have, but also more or less risk and more or less you know, time for you. So let's talk about REITs. So a REIT is a real estate investment trust. It is just like a mutual fund type of thing. So it's a way to hold property, if hold some of your money in real estate without ever even probably seeing any of the property. So one example that presents to our investment club, they're called uh, NNN, which is a triple net is a type of lease. And that's their, that's their ticker. I can't actually forget. I can't actually remember their, their real name. <laughs> but if you go and look at their ticker, NNN, they hold a lot of land that other buildings sit on. So Home Depot might come and build a building and they lease the land to Home Depot for that building. They also own, there's, there's companies that deal just in self-storage, for example. So you can get a lot of different categories of REIT. The problem is a big problem, actually. So why you would want to hold your REIT in an investment account is because they're constantly, not constantly, they're often buying and selling assets. And with a REIT, every time they buy or sell, every time they sell an asset, you're going to have a tax implication on that. And it can be just a pain in the behind to keep track of. But if you hold it in your retirement account, you're not worried about all the comings and goings. You don't have to file taxes on that. So that's uh, one type of completely hands-off and really 
normally minimal risk if you do your research and make sure has the company been around for a while, what are they investing in? After your initial research, just let the experts go with it. Another way, if you have some cash and you just want to use it, but not actually be in charge of any buildings, you can do hard money lending. Now, I, of course, recommend that you very carefully scrutinize the the person or the company that you're going to be lending this money to, and that you are ideally the primary lien holder. So just as an example, I lent some money to a person who I know very well on a project that he's doing. Now, he has... There's this whole crazy stuff. A lot of lenders, they don't want you to have too many single-family homes. They don't sometimes like that. They feel it's a risk. And he had a lot of homes that were under development. So he wasn't in a position to get a traditional bank loan. So he had his alternative was what we call hard money lending. Now, I now have a lien on his property for the amount of the loan. And he pays me every month just the interest. When we're done... I get all the principal back and it's a really great deal for me. (laughs) So just imagine as an example that you want to buy a beautiful car. You're like, oh, I've got this particular car lined up and I'm going to show my ignorance here because I don't know what cars cost. But let's say you want this really fancy sports car and it costs $100,000. Of course, you could take the $100,000 that you have from an inheritance or whatever. You can go to the wherever store. I don't think you can get a Ferrari for that price. But let's just say, so you can go to whatever store, uh, car lot, and you buy your car, you slap down the $100,000. That's great. But if instead you give a hard money loan to somebody for $100,000, most likely, first of all, you're going to charge them points. So they're probably going to have to pay at least probably $2,000 up front just to get the money. But you decide that. A lot of hard money loans are 4 or 5% of the loan amount. And then every month, if you charge them 12%, which is fairly low interest in the hard money lending arena, especially now as other rates have gone up. So let's say that you just charge them 1200 yeah. Suppose you tr- just charge them 12% interest and they have that loan. Normally, it's only about a year is the most that they want to have that loan for because then they will have had all their renovations done and they can get a traditional mortgage and pay you off and pay a lot less interest. So you've got that loan. So instead of giving your $100,000 to the car dealer, you're going to give $100,000 to this person who you've researched, who you trust, and you have a lien on the property. So if they don't pay, you get the property. Every month, they're going to pay you $1,000, which is probably your car loan. So you've still got the principal. You've still got that $100,000 and you're getting it back. And every month you get the $1,000 that you can send to your car dealer. So you still get the car and you still have the $100,000. This is what you call having your cake and eating it too. So hard money lending is, I, I personally love it, love it. But it's not for everyone, right? There's a lot of research on the front end. You have to trust the person. You want to do work with someone who's done a lot of transactions before, who you know has a history of completing the work. Okay. That's something you can do. But let's say instead you decide to buy the property direct. You want to be the owner. You want to have complete control over when it gets done, what happens there, whatever. So there's two categories. You can pay cash for the whole thing, or you can get a loan. Those are two options. And you can buy it by yourself, or you can buy it with a partner or as part of a syndication. 
So there's basically four options just for buying direct, buying out and owning the property, titles in your name or the name of a company that you're a part of. And you have complete control over what happens there and what gets done. So then if you decide now you've got that direct property that you've purchased, is it going to be a fix and flip? So are you going to buy this property, put some time and money into it or somebody else's money, I mean somebody else's time and your money or whatever, some combination, and fix it up and then plan to resell it? That's one option. Or you can buy it and plan to hold it and just collect rent throughout all the time that you hold it. So now we're up to, like, there's that matrix again, because you've got one event buying a property direct, which you're going to do either with cash or with a loan, with somebody or by yourself, fix and flip or buy and hold. So you can see how like diverse you can really be. And a lot of people I know who do fix and flips, they'll occasionally hold on to one of their properties so that they've got some steady revenue coming in and they've got, and also that's a the steady revenue, it's a property they can borrow against if they need to for a fix and flip that's ongoing. And of course, there's always wholesale, which you can do with any of the four categories. All these things you can do in any of the four categories. And wholesale is basically where you have not used any of your own money, but where you have used your time and your elbow grease or whatever, your your ingenuity to find people who want to sell their home that don't want to work with a realtor, that they're, normally their property has some kind of a blight, right? There's something wrong with it. So it wouldn't really work that well on the open market. And you've matched that person with a buyer, normally a developer, who wants to come in and fix it up. So that little marriage happens and you collect some amount on the front on, at the transaction. So for example, that person says they'll sell to you for 200000 and then you work, you negotiate with the investor and the investor says, okay, I, I'll pay two thirty for that. That $30,000 is yours. That's your basically finder's fee. That's your, your reward for doing a great job of negotiating on both sides of that transaction. Now, one note, and I think we've talked about this in a previous episode where we talked just about wholesaling, but you really want everybody to know what's happening. You want the person you're selling the house to to understand that you're reselling it and to understand that you're making $30,000 on that transaction. And you want the, the person on the other side, the buyer, to also understand that you're making a great profit on this. You know, they will normally respect that. You did all the work. But honesty is always the best policy because they're all going to find out at the closing. And you don't want any ugly scenes. You don't want anybody walking away, getting pissed off. Definitely better to do all that on the up and up. So I don't even know how many different categories we have discussed here, right? That you can see how incredibly diverse real estate can be. So sure, buy your stocks and bonds, buy your mutual funds, whatever. But when you decide to get into the real estate piece of your portfolio, you really want to drill down and see what is best for you. As a matter of fact, here's a fun thing. You can go on my website for the book. You know the book, Empower Your Inner Millionaire. The, the website for that is eyimbook.com. So Empower Your Inner Millionaire, eyimbook.com. And there's a place on there, uh, I think it's called Resources is the heading, but underneath it you'll find quizzes. And in the quiz, you basically fill out some questions, you answer some questions, and it pops up with 
suggestions of a type of real estate investing that would be really good for you. It's based on a number of criteria because for me, the four categories of what you should be doing, what kind of real estate you could potentially do is based on your knowledge. Like, do you already know anything about real estate investing, fixing stuff up? Are you handy? And then there's the time that you have to actually invest in time that you would invest in fixing up the property or doing research or knocking doors looking for wholesale opportunities and then there's the time between the time you between you the time you purchase the property and the time that you need to start making money on it and oh and there's how much money you have so do you have any money to invest because if you don't you're basically looking at wholesale do you have lots of money to invest then maybe you know if you have lots of money but not a lot of time then maybe you know, REITs or hard money lending are a great option for you. So yeah, do that. That'll be fun. (laughs) Fill out the quiz and then just, you know, make a little note or something or shoot me a a note and let me know what you got for a score and if that resonates with you and if you think that is actually a type of real estate investing that you would like to get involved in. So I think that's it for us from here. I think I've given you a lot of great options for diversifying your real estate portfolio. Remember, it's not just houses. There are so many different options and all of them are traveling in different cycles, different market cycles, and there are lots of different ways to invest in each of those categories. So I know that there's one out there that's great for you, so just do it. If you've been thinking about real estate investing, just jump off the ledge, just do it. I would love to help you if you feel a little... A little skittish about it. Uh, you know how to reach me, chrismccarron.com. All my info is there. And I have loved talking to you today. I hope that you've got some good, helpful bits of wisdom. Probably next week we'll have a guest because, you know, you can only listen to me talk for so long. Uh, but I don't know, actually. Next week is just a complete mystery to me. So have a beautiful, fantastic day and see you next week. <laughs>